Hello and welcome to the Found in the Forest podcast. I'm Craig Surhit. I developed the series around the feature-length documentary I created about the environmental school in British Columbia, which has had a real impact on how I feel about education. In the last episode, we took a look at the fundamentals of experiential education. And this week's show, we delve deeper by taking a look at how the environmental school weaves together lessons and experiences. In this next segment, we hear from Principal Clayton Maitland and teachers Randy, Dana, and Mario. One more aspect about curriculum that that people keep on asking is, where's the mathematics and where's the reading and the writing? And um, not, it's not like any other school in that all the the subject areas are there, except the difference is, is that they're interwoven and mixed together so that they, the kids might not even know they're doing a subject. Because if we're, um, assessing or evaluating everything about learning, about uh, the regular school system or, or a conventional school system, then we have to look at the division of disciplines or the division of subjects. So kids will come out of an activity and not know they've been doing math. We have to tell them explicitly that this is a math activity if parents want to know, well, where was the math today? I try to do it all sort of within the context of what we're doing. So when we're at the BMX track, the kids were looking at the distance you travel when you go around the inside of all the corners or when you go high in the corner and take the outside edge of it. There they're getting into um, unit conversion, they're getting into distance and, and measurement. When we're at Malcolm Knapp and they're doing forestry there and they're logging, I start getting them into the volume of logs and then the volume of cylinders. And so that's all concepts they do it in the regular out of a textbook. But here the kids have the measuring tapes out, they're measuring the length, the width, using pi and all those things to find these answers but it's all just hands-on and and within context of what they're doing. Probably when I think, what's the biggest struggle? I say math over and over. Um, But it's there all around us. And and again, it's one of those things that I think kind of gets absorbed, like the patterns. And so a lot of the building stuff is about patterns, but it's hard for us to measure. And another example where we've used math was we decided to do a, a river velocity. We wanted to find out how fast the stream was flowing. So that's one of the times when we separated kids into sort of age groups. And I had the grade grade three to fives. Randy took the older group. Today, I'm going to um, talk as little as possible. And it's your job to get your five meters or your 10 meters out. It's your job to do your timing. And I will answer questions, but I'm not gonna tell you how or what to do, okay? Yes. Kids were talking about how fast is this water and this is really fast, but they didn't have numbers. And so um, we set them up with, we kind of did a lot of thinking and learning about how would I figure out how fast this is traveling? What's conventional ways of measuring that? And then how could we do that here? Hey, a meter's not quite three feet, guys. Oh, it's 3.2 but, feet. But take, take a look, take a look on these tape measures. They have centimeters, so you might be able to convert, right? And so once they kind of came up with their strategies for measuring those things, we went down to the river, they threw sticks in the river, timed them over a certain distance, and then wound up having to convert that into kilometers per hour. So a simple activity that just went, went huge. You know, it expanded forever. And, and really, there, when we go back, we'll, we'll probably do some more work on that. You know, so it opened up you know, lots of science and lots of math. So the opportunities are there, you know, and it's our job to, to sort of search them out. 
like a math lesson we did at the beach was we talked about symmetry and we had them instead of just drawing a symmetrical picture we had them build symmetrical castles they all can tell you what symmetry means based on building castles it was pretty awesome Nate explain to me what you're doing we, we are making symmetrical but in a pattern way yeah so what does that mean it, it means like we have a castle and then we have a hole and then we have a castle and then but it's on both sides the same thing what's that called symmetrical in a classroom you know, you're always buying manipulatives so that we can use them in this way to represent things. Whereas out here, um, I don't have a chalkboard often and I don't have a whole bunch of counters or whatever we might want to use. So you wind up going to the kids, I want you to represent um, the area of, of a rectangle. And you got to show it to me sort of using what's around you. On Monday, we'll look at this on paper. Today, all I want you to do, I'm going to get out the uh, the tape measures and stuff for you. I want you to go and find a circle. I want you to measure the radius. The radius is what? Yeah, and you'll just go radius times radius times pi. And you'll be able to tell me how many squares are there. Today we're just gonna do it with a measure. On Monday we'll actually do it with, with we'll look at it on paper so see what it looks like. So, two or three people in each group. Set yourself up. Here's one tape measure somebody can take off me now. I'll go grab the rest. I think part of the reason I wound up doing that math lesson on, on area up against the side of the trailer was because it was wet that day and I couldn't get them to, do it, to write it on paper. And so go to them, you know, represent area using the items around you, and they all could. But you just um, sometimes adapt with what you're demonstrating your understanding with, or, you know, some days you postpone the writing part of it, but still do the learning part of it and write it the following day. We like looked at trees and did the volume of them. And like when there was a falling down log or a stump, we did the area and circumference of it and just looked at it and like measured the height of them from far away. And it's all within the natural stuff around you. So you're going you're gonna to figure out how many times you'd have to flush your toilet to make three million cubic meters of water disappear. I find it fun. and I. And I and I'm always impressed with the creativity that they use. Certain ones will come up with a way of representing it that I never thought of before. And I really like that. It shows real critical, creative thinking. The school has been exceptionally good at capitalizing on the locations that are available in the surrounding areas and creating lessons that exploit what the places have available. A great example of this is the BMX track that is available in Pitt Meadows. I'm impressed with how the simple act of riding a bike can explode into many learning opportunities. In this next segment, we hear from the educators and students sharing their experience at the BMX track. Jesse, use your hands. BMXing is, a, is an avenue or an activity that allows for different possibilities, right? The riding down the dikes and the exploring on the roads or going to different locations opens uh, the boundaries to what that classroom could look like. So what we're going to do is we're just going to start where we left off. No. Okay, so you guys remember we That's did that. My husband was uh, the national coach of Canada for BMX for the last four years and was at the Olympics 
in London. So BMX is kind of like runs our life. <laughs> so it's great to bring like something that's really important to our family, to these kids, and it's great to see it becoming a big deal in their life. Well, the only reason I'm really interested in BMXing is because it was really fun and I do like to ride bikes. And I have won a couple first place, second place trophies and third place. I really like BMXing. I've, I'm doing it now out of school too. And I like the bike rides we go on. I think it was really good to like watch the Nationalists too and to have a good coach that really helps. It was really amazing for those kids who couldn't even go on a family bike ride. I had one mom send me a message saying like it blows her mind her daughter couldn't go on that family bike ride and now she's just giving her and doing an amazing job. So the confidence that just BMXing and learning that new sport instilled in a lot of them was amazing. Remember yesterday, or two days ago, we were looking at gears, you know, front gear to back gear, comparing them. Do you remember what term we used to, to call that? They were, that was what? Tell the person beside you if you think it was. I was just having a look at the ratios between the gears, and, and they, they're funny because they talk about it being harder or easier to pedal, but they don't recognize what's going on in the gears to make it that way. And often they don't even recognize that when my pedals go around once, my back wheel's going around three times or one time. And so there's a whole bunch of things that they wind up discovering in that. And I went from having them count teeth on there to comparing those as a ratio and, and also as a percent. The back wheel went around about three times for every time the front ring went around once. Right? And you guys discovered what? When it's on the small gear on the back, is that easier or harder to pedal? It was a fun lesson because the aha moments were, were so obvious to the kids, you know? And, and there was this grand confusion when things would work out certain ways. They didn't expect it to be that way, right? So it was neat to watch that. So the last thing I want you to do right now with the bike that you were measuring, I want you to put it on a big ring, pop a helmet on, pedal it a little bit and go, how hard was that? Then put it on the small ring on the back and see how hard that was to pedal and then come back here. It was a different way of learning how to do fractions and in a normal school you would like sit down at your desk and you'd sit there for like an hour and the teacher would write up on the chalkboard um, one over four or like three over four and this is called a fraction da, 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 da. and you'd learn about it and you'd just sit there and you'd be like, I want to go play my games or like do something. Um, but when we were at the BMX track, it was really cool because we got to like spin the tires and like we got to ride the bike and pedal once around. And we got to see how many times the wheel went around. So like there's like two different ways of learning how to do it. And that's like what we've been doing throughout the year. It's, it's funny though, like you're never going to hit all the kids anywhere. So there's particular kids that don't like riding bikes, they, they fall and they don't like when they hurt themselves and things like that, and so they're kind of reluctant there, whereas they may get to the Stave Lake powerhouse and just love the, the science of the electricity, and they, they enjoy it there, and others are going, wish we were at the BMX track, you know. You're never going to win no matter where you are. One of the challenges with experiential education is convincing the students and parents that the learning is actually happening. And one way the school handles this is with learning stories. Learning stories are simple descriptions that come from students, parents, or teachers 
that demonstrates how the kids are using their knowledge that they've gained. As parents, when we witness our son Nate displaying his expanding understanding of the world that we know is tied into his learning at school, we write it down and share it with the teachers. In the pocket guide, I'm trying to figure out the names of it. Right. In less than, like, in less than 20 seconds, I can figure it out. Very good. Can I take a picture of you with this book so I can remember what you said? So you hold that book just like that. I'm going to take a picture of this. And this will help me remember later on when I want to t write a story down about this, okay? Sue was talking to me about learning stories and I, she asked how it helps. I said it brings back all of what we learned. So if we don't think we're learning something, we write about an experience and then we realize that we just learned all of this stuff. Like when we first started learning the anatomy of a fish and started cutting them open, at first I thought this is awesome, I get to just cut open a fish, but then I realized that, that I'm learning a lot of science. Like these kindergartners are learning stuff that I would, you would never learn until at least grade nine. So sometimes when we're learning, we're not always thinking that we're learning. The beauty is that it's all mixed together, weaved together to form a learning experience rather than this is math or this is language arts or English or this is social studies. Social studies, math and uh, language arts and sciences all flow together. It's not that it's not challenging, right? It, it, challenging to understand and get your mind to think differently about learning. It's so funny because they're not really realizing how much they know. They're not being confident in their knowledge. It's really weird. They know so much. A lot of it might be different from what a grade seven might know in um, inside school, but they know so much. And it's crazy that they don't think that. It blows my mind. There's less academics, a whole lot less. But an advantage to having a lot less academics is that you learn how to learn so that when eventually you do go back to this regular school system, you will kind of, if somebody teaches you how to do something, you can do it easy because you have good problem solving skills. Well, what do you mean by like there's less academics? Maybe you can kind of explain that. Like you do a whole lot less math and science and there is a whole lot of PE, a lot of physical um, exercise, but um, yeah, like math, language arts, all the other things that you'd have in a conventional school system. What you said about them not realizing they're learning, that happens a lot. And especially the first year with the grade sevens, because they'd spent their previous seven years in conventional school, and you read about it in a textbook often, and then you do a lesson on it and then you write a test on it and they were coming to me going I don't think we've learned anything and um, I said to them well tell me about the river tell me about the salmon tell me about the watershed and they just told me these reams of stuff and, and then I said to them so I'm gonna give you a test on this what kind of grade will you get and I'll go like 95 percent and I was going well why not a hundred well you know we make dumb mistakes but we know it all and I said well do you really need a test seeing as you know it all already to prove to yourself that you've learned something they all kind of went, oh, I guess not. And, and they, also, they also, when I asked them, like, why do you think you didn't learn anything? They went, well, because we don't have a textbook. And so it was funny that learning in the way they were learning, they didn't think was valid. And I think it, but I think it was completely valid. And they knew more that way than they ever do when I do lessons on it and then give them a test. Academics is a textbook. 
is what I think. And because we don't use textbooks, it's not academic. And one thing that I do with the little kids is when we play stealth, I teach them about food chains and predators and prey and um, that kind of thing, but they think it's just a game. So they don't think they're learning what a food chain is. They know predator-prey relationships. They know herbivores, carnivores, omnivores. And this is like grade 10 science. Grade 10 science right now in the curriculum is food chains, symbiotic relationships, which the best moment of my year this year was the day Nate dropped. Well, isn't the rock a symbiotic relationship? And he's six. That's something that scientists do is they look at the relationship between plants. And you're right. They have relationships like families. Yeah? You had a question? Um, we might have symbiotic relationships. They might have a what? Symbiotic. A symbiotic relationship. That's right. So they have a mutually beneficial relationship. That's like my highlight, I swear. <laughs> we insert knowledge into, into games and into adventures and they don't realize that we're teaching them stuff. But they're learning stuff and when a six-year-old can use the term symbiotic relationship, I think they're actually learning some academics. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Next week, we'll be looking at the role the community plays in the environmental school. And just a reminder, you can watch the entire documentary at foundintheforest.com. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send them to info at foundintheforest.com. If you don't mind taking the time to rate this program in iTunes, it will not only help other people discover it, but it will also give me some good feedback. Thanks for listening. <laughs>